A very important verse in the New Testament is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6. And this verse says that without faith it is impossible to be well-pleasing to God. For he who comes forward to God must believe that he is. I emphasize just this part. Must believe that he is. The writer doesn't say, as we might be inclined to say, to believe that God exists. Rather, perhaps echoing the words I am that I am in Exodus chapter 3, the writer tells us we must believe that God is. This is the most basic and foundational element of our faith. Somehow, and for some reason, in contrast to the increasing tide of atheism spreading throughout our country and fostered by much of the media, we are those who believe that God is. To say that God is, is to testify that God is self-existing and he is ever-existing. The natural human mind simply cannot bear this. And those who have confidence in their intelligence and believe that Only scientific truths are truths. Nothing else is true. They cannot handle this. And they think we are ridiculous. Let them think whatever they want. But we believe God is. The things created by him exist. So kitty cats And moo cows exist. Camels exist. Cactus exists. We exist. But none of us can say in an absolute sense, I am. As if to say, I just am self-existing and ever-existing and that's it. God is. And in our spirit, in response to the faith, the believing ability dispensed into us, we simply believe deep within that God is. Therefore, by nature, the self-existing God is eternal. 
The Bible was not inspired and written over a very long period of time simply to kind of stir us up to ask questions about God or to know things about God. The Bible was written to reveal God in Christ and to make known to us God's purpose. What Ephesians 3.11 calls his eternal purpose. So although this mystery that is God's hidden purpose was concealed in God himself, when the Lord came and then the apostles continued the ministry, God made known very clearly why he created the universe, why we exist, what he wants to accomplish. So based on Hebrews 1.6, we can go back a little to verse 3, which says, By faith we understand that the universe has been framed by the word of God. That I find this, to me, almost impossible to believe, but the unbelievers, they really believe a lot of things. That the universe just exists by itself. It's just here. And everything can be explained by what is taking place in the physical realm. But we, on the contrary, believe and understand that the universe was framed by the word of God. So we have God is, then God created the universe. Okay. Why did he do this? Well, we need to go back a little, by which I mean go further into eternity past, based upon what is revealed in the New Testament, to understand what was going on in God's being. We know from Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, that all things were created because of God's will. So the God who is created everything because of something called his will. God's will is what God wants and what God intends to have. So God's will is the source of every positive thing. He wants something and he intends to have it. So because of his will, we were created. We know from the verse we read, Ephesians 1, 5, that we were 
predestinated, our destiny was set unto sonship, to be not only creatures, but those who have a life relationship with God and the standing to enjoy all that God is. And this was according to the good pleasure of his will. So the good pleasure is of the will. And the good pleasure of God is what makes him happy, what makes him joyful, what brings delight to him. And we may wonder, and it's understandable if we wonder, does God need enjoyment? I would say yes, indeed, based upon this principle. Every form of life, according to its level of life, needs enjoyment. I'm not going to go down to single-cell creatures like amoeba and inquire of them, are they happy, what makes them joyful? But animals, dogs, they, they need something to cause their tail to wag and for them to be happy. And children, it's just born, it's just worked into their nature. Living beings need enjoyment. And in our culture, we pay this is not exaggerating, athletes and performers, tens of millions of dollars just to give us a little enjoyment, a little pleasure. And this is just a sidebar, because on no doubt the people in Philadelphia were ecstatic when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. But I found out, you know what they did in the locker room? After they won, they prayed the Lord's Prayer together. Isn't that interesting? And so we humans, because of the life element in us, we'll see, we need enjoyment. And we need a sense of purpose. God, by definition, has the highest life. So his life has the greatest need for a good pleasure, for something to fulfill the longing in him. So Paul uses the expression, his good Pleasure. So in God, who is, is a will, something he wants, and an intention he has to gain something. 
And as part of his will is the desire of his heart. I love this expression used by the ministry to define the meaning of the words good pleasure. The desire of his heart. And we know from the Father's audible speaking twice concerning enjoyment, he pointed to a person, the incarnated Son, and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I delight, in whom I am well pleased. Based upon the God who is, with his will and desire, he formed a purpose that is a plan with a determined intention to fulfill the desire of his heart by accomplishing his will. So this is revealed in Ephesians. That's why we know it. He has a will, and his will is his good pleasure. And he, this good pleasure he purposed in himself. So this is the purpose of God. What is God's purpose related to his will and his good pleasure? And that is to have on the earth a group of human beings created as vessels who will contain him be filled with him and express him corporately on the earth. This is what his purpose is. For this, he created us in his own image. But we know from Colossians 1.15 that the image according to which we were created, is Christ the Son. So we were all created in the image of God, that is, in the image of the Son of God. An image is the visible expression of the invisible God. This is the mystery No one can see God, but God became a man. The word became flesh, and the word is the expression and definition of God. So let me make this clear, as clear as I can, and please try to follow me. We were created according to the image of the one who expresses God. Then God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That is to fill the earth with human beings who bear the image of God to express him. 
This is what his purpose is. So the God who is has a will, something he wants and intends to have. Part of his will is his good pleasure, his heart's desire, his need for joy. And he formed in Christ his purpose that is both a plan and a determined intention. Then he created. He created the universe, our solar system, our galaxy, the earth, and human beings. This is why we exist. This is God's purpose. Now on the human side, speaking of humanity prior to the fall, we were created with a very good natural human life. We were living souls with a spirit as an organ. And we were created as vessels. And vessels are containers. We were then placed in front of the tree of life which signifies God in Christ as our life supply. And God's intention was that we, his creation, would receive another life in addition to our created human life. That is the life of God himself, the eternal life John 3.16 tells us about. And by receiving that life, we are born of God in our spirit, and Christ the Son, as the Spirit, lives in us. So that is why we were created. We know it's more than obvious. Sin came in to damage human nature and to separate man from the direct sweetest fellowship with God. Then the fall went further after the first murder, after Abel was murdered. Then human beings to exist left God and built up their own civilization in order to exist, in order to have food, a dwelling place, protection, and some enjoyment. So we were all born into a country, into a city that exists, so that human beings can somehow just go on living. And for the vast majority of people in the United States, we'll just focus here, the purpose of their existence is their existence itself. That's all. 
But deep within the God-created human being is an organ called the spirit, the human spirit. And our body was contaminated by sin to become the flesh. Our soul was deformed to be the self. And our spirit was deadened, not killed, but deadened in function. But still deep within, in the core of our being, in every human being, whether they will be honest enough, and most will not be honest enough, there is a sense of emptiness, of longing, of seeking. And this longing is strengthened by what is revealed in Ecclesiastes, where we are told God placed eternity in the human heart. It's just there. Atheists have a spirit. Atheists have in their heart eternity. They will do everything they can to deny it and to suppress it. But it's there. So we have been considering in this substantial opening word the purpose of God. And I believe we have established God created the universe, the earth, and us for this purpose. But God knows there is a condition, a requirement that must be fulfilled in us, not by us, but in us, in order for us to even care for God's purpose and in order for us to live for God's purpose. Especially, we all have, because we all have our human life, in the midst of this world system with all that's going on. And in this country, I would say the unparalleled degradation and dehumanization of our society. It's unprecedented. When God created humankind, where did he put them? Not on an iceberg, not in the desert, but in a beautiful garden. And the trees were pleasant to the sight. Our eyes, although they're used by the flesh, they are really organs, primary organs of looking for delight, constantly looking for something. To bring pleasure. So God placed us in a pleasant place. Indicating at least two things, I believe. One is, as a human, you need enjoyment. This is a human need. Every bit as much as nourishment and protection and whatever. 
But more important, God is saying, I need you to enjoy me. And you need to enjoy me in order to want to live for my purpose on the earth. Simply telling our young people, the, the world is vain. It's vanity of vanities. Everything of the world will pass away. You'll never be satisfied with the music, with the clothes, with this and that. That's not going to work. What will work when they touch the real, genuine enjoyment in their youth? They discover how sweet the Lord is, how delightful he is, how wonderful he is, how joyful the triune God is. How our heart is just filled with overflowing praise whenever we touch the desire of God's heart and allow the desire of his heart to be with us. And then when they discover this joy is increased to many degrees when we assemble with other believers in oneness, to love the Lord and to pursue the Lord and to serve the Lord together. So our general subject is the enjoyment of God and the purpose of God and how they go together. God did not create robots. He did not put a, some kind of disc or something in the base of our brain to control us, giving us the illusion that we are free to make choices. Even though we're fallen and our will has been damaged, we're still not robots. We are human beings with a will that can make decisions. And to me, the greatest decision I ever made as a believer was to live in time on earth for God's eternal purpose. Amen. That's a decision. More, more momentous than when a young sister responds ecstatically to the brother I guess they still do this, kneeling on one knee and opening the little box and presenting the metal circle with the mineral on top and says, will you marry me? Then she makes a decision. Life is different. Every aspect of our life becomes different. When we personally... Enlightened by God, tell him as a decision, I choose to live here and now for your purpose. Amen. 
then that's settled. Then now the way is open in our being for God to work himself into us, to fill us, to saturate us. But then along with this, God wants us to deeply realize something about himself and about ourselves. Okay, first about himself. He is the highest enjoyment. So that's why Acts 2 can quote Psalm 16. Your presence is fullness of joy. Just your presence. We'll see some verses when we go through the outline, and we will in due time. That the triune God is a God of joy. He knows this. But because of our fallen condition, because of the influence of religion that misrepresents God, because of the lies of the enemy and his slandering of God to us, very few, we just don't have the thought that God is enjoyable. God is to be dreaded. God is to be feared in an unhealthy sense of fear. It doesn't enter the human mind. God is enjoyable, but he is. So when the word became flesh, that is God himself becoming a human, he was filled with grace and reality. Do you know what grace is? It's God being our enjoyment. When Jesus came, enjoyment came. Grace came. Then in John 1.17, we have a contrast between the Old and New Testament. The law was given by Moses. Grace and reality came by Jesus Christ. But it's the preceding verse that I love. Of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. My dear brothers and sisters, this is how the Lord wants you and me to live. His fullness, his over, the overflowing wealth of his being. He wants us to receive grace upon grace, wave upon wave, all the time. I'll develop this further probably tomorrow if the Lord continues to lead as I think he's leading. But I want to speak of this in a very realistic and practical way. Human life itself is a suffering life. It's not easy. Just to live and survive as a human. Every once in a while in the morning, I have to get on the freeway to go somewhere in Orange County. I can't imagine how people do this every day, twice a day, just to get to work. 
an hour at least just to get there. Then to get home. And when you're home, who knows what awaits you there. There's a spouse. There are children. There are dogs. There's all kinds of things. Human life itself is a suffering life. And part of human life are the tragedies, the heartbreaking losses, the particular times of suffering. It's unavoidable. Plus, we have a self. And it's the self in us that is used by the enemy to kill our enjoyment and to drive us to seek pleasure for our soul life in things other than God. Our God knows right now this is the outward situation in which we all live. So on any given day, two-thirds of my being are troubling me. My body and much of my soul. Sometimes the greatest struggle of the day is just to get up and face another day. I'm talking about the actuality of human life. But I know I have a third part. And I know the Lord as the Spirit is with my spirit. And I know he wants to supply me with grace. And I know I have a will. So before too long, I turn again and give that day to the Lord. I'm glad we sang that very simple song. Hallelujah. You know, it is joy. It is Christ that I enjoy. But even in the first stanza, the writer strikes a realistic note. In midst earth's sorrows and its woe. So I'm not talking about some kind of fanciful, idealistic, unattainable view of human life. I've lived long enough and been through enough to know the sufferings and the agony of human life in every stage. But in the midst of it, by the Lord's mercy and grace, we stand up and testify in the midst of it, we enjoy God. Amen. We enjoy him. One of the greatest teachers among the ones we know as the brethren in the 19th century was William Kelly. And Spurgeon, the great preacher, said of him, his mind was as large as the universe. He had a colossal intellect. 
And his writings are so helpful and clear. And in one of his books, he says, nothing so confounds the world as to see a person joyful in the Lord. So what is on my heart for myself personally, for those closest to me, for all the brothers and sisters in the Lord's recovery, is these two things that are one. That we would see and choose to live for God's eternal purpose. Realizing that time is for eternity. God created time when he created the heavens and the earth. After the judgment at the great white throne, time will cease to exist. There will be a new heaven and the new earth. And what it will be like, we'll have to wait to see. But time, as we know it, from God's point of view, is to accomplish God's purpose. So one of the things to consecrate, but to consecrate under enlightenment, is our time. And I was considering just today, what does it mean in the sight of God to waste time? You may think, well, it's not reading the Bible 10 hours a day. No, God has ordained that we work 8 or 10 hours a day. I think I understand a little. To waste time is to spend the time, any time, not one spirit with the Lord. No matter what I'm doing, it can be seemingly spiritual. If I'm not one with the Lord, the time devoted to that is nothing in the sight of God. But if I learn to do my job, to speak to my wife, to my grandchildren, to fellowship with the saints, to drive, to do so many human things, but to do them in oneness with the Lord. That is time spent or devoted to carrying out God's eternal purpose. It's not that you must spend more time doing this and less time doing that. We're human beings. We need to sleep. We need physical activity. I'm reminded of this. Exercise for our health. We need to work. We need to do our taxes. We have to floss our teeth. We men have to shave. It never stops. But the Lord wants to grace us in such a way that we learn to live him, to be one with him, in every situation of our human life. Then on our part, we need enjoyment. And we will seek enjoyment. All of us according to our makeup. Some men I don't understand, they are so happy to spend time in the Ace Hardware store. I don't understand this. I can understand spending a couple hours in Barnes and Noble. 
looking at books, well, we're just kind of different in our human makeup. But we all have this need humanly. But even more, this is a primary need spiritually. Because only a joyful person can really live for God's purpose. Again and again, I don't know how many times I have mentioned what I will mention now. But every time I mention it, I'm inspired again. Brother Watchman Nee suffered his whole life as a believer. On so many levels simultaneously. He almost died as a young adult. Often when he spoke, he had pain in his chest, pain while he was ministering, suffering all kinds of opposition, then imprisoned for 20 years. With what kind of diet? What kind of circumstances? A former cellmate of his, who's now our brother living in Anaheim, told us. But his last written word that was communicated to a relative in a way that would pass the censorship, his last word was, I have kept my joy. Can you imagine that? You're so sick. You can't get up to walk to the cafeteria and the guards say, no, no one's going to bring your food to you. We don't do that to the prisoners. But his cellmate only ate half of his own meal and brought the remainder back to Brother Nee. When his wife died and his heart was more than broken, he pleaded for a couple days to attend the funeral, not allowed to go. Suffering upon suffering, but in the midst of it and in the depths of it, he enjoyed the Lord. He said, I have maintained my joy. So now I am convinced the deepest believers the most mature believers are those who enjoy the Lord in the midst of their human situation, whatever it is. Now we can go through the outline. I believe you sense something of the burden that passes anything I could put into a little outline But yet, I want to give 20 or 25 minutes. That will be enough on my part. This will give you 25 or 30 minutes to respond according to the Lord's leading. It's good to have the outline, to have something concrete in our hand, something to help us remember. Now, you 20-somethings, you may not know what it means to need help to remember. (laughs) But others of us, we understand that. And so to have something written down. When I was young, I would give sermons, I would give messages, no notes. 
everything. But when the Lord touched pride and self-confidence, I end up needing outlines. I'm very happy to read them and to give them to you. Enjoying God and living for his purpose. Just these two things. I'm not suggesting you, you write this as a script. But if you're talking to someone in a line or you're sitting next to someone on a plane and they ask you, what do you do? Maybe every once in a while we should tell them, um, well, I enjoy God and live for his purpose. <laughs> That's what I do. And where are you going? I'm going to Phoenix. What are you going to do there? Well, I'm going to meet with a group of dear people, and together we're going to enjoy God Amen. and live for his purpose. Amen. Wouldn't you want to be able to bear this testimony? Of course you have a job to support yourself. It's a law that we work. You have to take care of your health. Okay, it's now March. We've got about a month and a half. We're going to have to do taxes. Just like all the unbelievers, just like all the atheists, we're going to have to do taxes. Just like anybody else. But that's just so that we can maintain a somewhat balanced normal human life so that we can enjoy God and live for his purpose. Anyone here about to embark upon a courtship, I would like to recommend an item to put on your list of what you're looking for, okay? I know you have a list. I don't want to, I don't, I'm not interested in your particular list. I would suggest you put at the top of the list that you want to marry someone who enjoys God and lives for his purpose. Amen. And so that your married life, through all of its stages and phases, will be a life of enjoying God and living for his purpose. Man was created by God with a need for enjoyment and purpose. Okay, it's a need. I'm not going to argue with an atheist who's rationalizing everything, making everything an intellectual game. I know in their being, you're a human. And you were created with a need for enjoyment and a purpose. Point two says God wants us to enjoy him and to live for his purpose. So God's will for your life is what he wants and he wants you to enjoy him. So tomorrow, whatever your Saturdays are, some of you need to work on a Saturday, others got all kinds of practical things. So many of you will still come at 10 o'clock to be here as your circumstances allow. But you need to realize God's will for every day of your life 
is that you would enjoy him. You ask, what is God's, Lord, what is your will for me? You want information. Eventually you'll get leading, but God would say, what do I want? I want you to enjoy my son, the all-inclusive Christ, today. Then to live for my purpose today. Don't talk about the rest of your life. Talk about, take it a day at a time. One day at a time. That's how it's measured out. The triune God is a God of joy. So if you look at the verses, God is a God of joy. Romans. My joy will be in you, the Lord said, and your joy will be made full. I want to be able to testify that sometime. My joy will be in you. Your joy will be made full. Why don't we pray? Lord, cause your joy to be in me. Make my joy full. You ever prayed for someone else like this? Who knows what kind of things we pray? Sometimes it's out of a burden. Sometimes it's because we're critical. But to pray that today, this dear one will enjoy the Lord. Her joy would be full. There's a sister. We keep in very close touch with her because she's very seriously ill. With an aggressive form. The disease. She needs a bone marrow transplant. But her spirit is strong. We do pray for her to be recovered, for her life to be preserved. But now I'd like to pray, Lord, Make her joy full. In the midst of her situation, make her joy full. As believers, we need to change our concept. Yes, you have a concept, whether you know it or not, about God. And focus on the enjoyment of God And see that God's desire is to give himself to us to be our enjoyment. But I believe all of us have fallen into this trap of the enemy. We had a failure. We feel bad. We confess. We believe the blood cleanses us. But then we're we're kind of afraid to go to the Lord Because he's probably going to deal with us. He's not happy. We did this again. And so the enemy is lying. Don't go. God doesn't like you. He's angry at you. You're a sinner. That's a lie. If God would speak directly, he would say, I want you to come to me so I can be your enjoyment. I provided my son for your redemption. As soon as you began to fail, he interceded on your behalf and I responded. And I received your confession. I've forgiven your offense. I've forgotten it already. Don't waste your time. I want to be your enjoyment right now. I'm not waiting for you to be mature. I'm not waiting for you to know more. 
I'm not waiting for you to be perfect. I'm just waiting for you to come. Amen. This is God. Amen. It's his, his desire Amen. to give himself to be your enjoyment. See, whenever we draw near to God, we need to realize that he presents himself to us for our enjoyment. This is what the Son made possible through his redemption and the application of that in our salvation. This is our God. This thought needs to govern our thinking when we come to him. Lord, I'm coming to you not so I can say, yes, I did morning revival today. But Lord, I'm coming to you because you want to be my enjoyment. And I cannot live without enjoying you. Amen. I need enjoyment. Even that, Lord, that's the reason I failed in this matter, in that matter. I sought enjoyment there. I sensed such a lack in my humanity and this and that. For a moment, I tried to find some happiness there, even though I know it never works. And the Lord already knows this. That let me present myself to you to be your enjoyment right now. And you don't have to know, you don't have to put into lengthy prayers this or that request, Lord, I need you as this or that. He knows. Just to have this realization. And to know that through the blood of Jesus, you have the right to come to God for this purpose. We should come to him with the thought of enjoying him. So Psalm 36, 8 and 9. That you'll be abundantly satisfied with the fatness, the riches of your house. They will drink of the river of your pleasures. This is God being our enjoyment. To drink the river of his pleasures, you are joyful just by calling on the Lord and drinking the spirit. And God is your enjoyment. In the midst of what's going on in the physical realm and what's happening in the psychological realm, in the midst of that, in your spirit, God is being joy to you. And that is what enables you to live in that situation at that time for God's purpose. Yes, we need to settle it in principle. Lord, I'm living. My life is for your purpose. I live for your purpose. But life is measured out day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. And we're always in some kind of environment, some kind of situations. I've used this illustration a number of times. I'm in the left turn lane, waiting for the red arrow to turn green. I'm familiar with this intersection. I know the timing pretty much. There are 10 cars in front of me. I'll be able to make it on this green arrow if their reflexes are quick enough. And nobody's moving. 
And then, by the time I get there, I can't lie to myself. It was green when I started to turn. It's blazing red. And I'm, I'm going to be there for three minutes. I don't know about you, but most of the time when that happens, I'm not happy about that. <laughs> and I'm not happy about drivers with slow reflexes that make me wait for red arrows for three minutes. But now I'm here for three minutes. Should I be in the flesh? Should I be in myself? But can I remember, Lord? Actually, Lord, I want to thank you for the red arrow. Because now I get three minutes of uninterrupted enjoyment. Then I'm enjoying you so much, when the light turns green, I have no reflexes. And the car behind me is honking, not in a friendly way, not, not in a toot, but a... And I don't have a reaction, I would say. I understand, been there and done that. I'm still happy in Jesus. And you just turn and you race by me and glare at me. And if I'm enjoying that, Lord, I would say, Lord, save this person, bless this person, be in joy to them. When I'm in myself, I'm the same as anybody else. So this has to become day by day. It can't just be an abstract concept. Our life as a whole, somewhere, sometime, it will be for God's purpose. Somewhere, sometime, we'll enjoy the Lord. And I admit, I need help. And I get help every day from other believers. Yes, I need help. I can't do this alone. I need help. So do you. So we're all in this together. D, the secret to the Christian life is how much we enjoy God. In John 16, the Lord says the world will rejoice because I'll be put to death. But you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy and no one will take your joy from you. This is the secret. God saved us and called us according to his own purpose. And now his purpose should become our purpose. So in 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul tells us God saved us according to his own purpose. In chapter 3, verse 10, he tells Timothy, you have closely followed my purpose. These are not two purposes. God's purpose became Paul's purpose that was lived out in such a way Timothy could see it and closely follow it. This is what has to happen. God's purpose becomes your purpose. God's joy becomes your joy. This is the key to living for God's purpose and this will be the key to becoming an overcomer. The book of Ephesians was written from the perspective of God's good pleasure, the desire of his heart. 
God needs pleasure, and this pleasure is according to his will. Every living thing desires pleasure. Because God is the most living one, he has a deep need for pleasure. God's good pleasure is what makes him happy. It is what he likes, what pleases him. And one thing that pleases him from Hebrews eleven six is that we have faith. We just believe in him. He's happy. We just believe that he is. God's good pleasure has been purposed by God in himself. This means that God himself is the source and sphere of his eternal purpose. God decided it before he created the universe. No matter how many atheists, like the freedom from religion, hate-filled people, try to do everything to eliminate any remnant of a Bible quote, even if it's seemingly not a religious one, no matter what they do, God will carry out his purpose. Amen. Nothing will stop him. See, the church is according to his good pleasure, to the good pleasure of God's will, the desire of God's heart. So the church itself, filled with people living for his purpose and enjoying him, that makes God happy. I don't believe when the Pope makes a public statement, tens of thousands are in St. Peter's Square in the Vatican. I don't think God is very happy at all with that kind of gathering. But with small numbers of saints gather on the Lord's Day morning to break bread and remember the Lord in the local churches, and have a period of time to remember him and praise him and worship the Father. That's where God gets his joy on the earth. Young people, I don't know what <clears throat> your experience has been. I respect whatever your church life has been to you. I can't deny that. But I want to testify to you. The church is the happiest place on earth. Brother Lee, shortly before he went to be with the Lord, he said of the church in Anaheim, said to him, the church in Anaheim was the paradise of God. Amen. We need a fresh view of the church. It's a paradise. Oh, the church in Phoenix. I believe the church in Phoenix, I believe this will extend to Tucson and to Flagstaff. You're on the verge of a new age in going on for the fulfillment of God's purpose. Amen. I believe so. God's good pleasure is related to his heart concerning us. When he thinks about us as the object of his dispensing, he is happy. So it wouldn't be this kind of conversation that I believe I can illustrate between the father and the son while we're sleeping. The son would say to the father, what are you going to do in that person's life today. He said, um, I'm going to make him happy. Actually, as he's waking up and groping the consciousness, I'm going to put a song in him. While he's in the shower, he's going to start singing. Because I decided I'm going to make him happy today. And that will make me happy to see him happy singing in the shower. <laughs> 
especially if you don't have a good singing voice. God doesn't like to hear arias from professionals. He likes to hear those of us who sing in non-existent keys <laughs> to sing joyful songs to him. <clears throat> Four, and finishing up in about five minutes. God's eternal purpose is to dispense himself into his chosen people, to make them the same as he is in life and nature, but not in the Godhead, for his enlarged and expanded expression. His expression is in his one son. He wants many sons expressing him through dispensing. The book of Job leaves us with a twofold question concerning the purpose of God in creating man and in dealing with his chosen people. The answer to this question is the economy of God, which is God's eternal intention with his heart's desire to dispense himself in his divine trinity as the Father in the Son by the Spirit into his chosen people to be their life and nature that they may become the same as he is for his fullness, his expression. Job didn't know what was, what was going on. He cried out in chapter 10, I know this is in your heart. There's a reason for this. But God couldn't just say, Job, this is the reason I'm going to be processed and consummated in the Son through incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection to be the life-giving spirit, to dispense myself into you, to be grace and everything to you, that you can be part of my corporate expression, which will be the body of Christ, the new man, the bride, consummating in the new Jerusalem. It wasn't time for God to say things like that. <clears throat> Translators, how you handled it, I don't know. Okay. But I'll, I'll slow down again now. God's purpose in dealing with his lovers, even in the way of loss, is that they may gain him to the fullest extent, that he might be expressed through them for the fulfillment of his eternal purpose in his creation of man. God's intention in his creation of all things, including man, was that man would be mingled with God to produce the church as the body of Christ, to consummate the new Jerusalem, for his glorious expression. God's eternal purpose, according to the desire of his heart, is to have the church to be the organic body of Christ for the manifestation of his multifarious wisdom. To state it briefly and succinctly, God's eternal purpose is to have the church as the corporate expression of Christ. Amen. This is God's purpose. God's eternal purpose, according to the... Okay, we read C, now D. The church as the body of Christ is the unique means used by God to fulfill his purpose and settle all his problems. So it is the church that will be his expression. And it is the church that will represent him with his authority and deal with his enemy. The church is for the expression, the glory of God the Father in the divine sonship with the Father's life and nature. The church is God's greatest boast in making known to the angelic rulers and authorities his multifarious wisdom for the shame and defeat 
of his enemy to bring in his kingdom. That's Ephesians 3.10. Through the church, he will make his wisdom known to the evil spirits in the air. The enemy is so clever. He's used clever people. The smart alecky atheists arguing this, arguing that. God is right now quiet. He's right now hidden. But the time will come. He will display his wisdom and put all the opposition to open shame. That will happen. The church is for the heading up of all things in Christ through the working of himself into us as life and light. This section in the outline on the purpose presents deep truths. I didn't have the leading to concentrate on them. As the Lord leads you, as you are inclined, as you have time, you can read over the outline and pray a little bit. My burden is that we would see and live for God's purpose. And that we would see and realize that to live for God's purpose, we need to enjoy God so that we would all have this sense whenever we come to him. He's a God of joy who wants to give himself to us for our enjoyment so that on this day we may live on earth in time for his eternal purpose. This is the desire of my heart, the desire of God's heart, the desire of our heart. This is the burden of our sweet little weekend conference here in Phoenix. May we really enjoy the Lord together like never before. Amen. Amen.